Hi, I'm Erica Keswin. Welcome to Left to Our Own Devices, a show that explores how to bring our human to work and to life. Because left to our own devices, we're not connecting. Today, I have two amazing guests who I got to know a few months ago when I did a keynote presentation in London to the top 200 executives at IMG. My guests are Allison Williamson and Nicholas Griggs-Drain, who are both part of Endeavor's diversity and inclusion organization. First off, Allison Williamson. She is the SVP and Chief Inclusion Officer at Endeavor. Allison shared that she has a question that she has asked all of the organizations where she has worked, and it's really driven the success in her career. The question is, who should be here and is not? Allison joined Endeavor in 2019, and as an aside between the taping of this interview and the publication of the interview, Allison actually has gone on to become the head of DNI at Yahoo. Prior to Endeavor, Williamson was with the Rabin Group, a national public policy and communication strategy firm, where she led the firm's New York office as well as its diversity, equity, and inclusion practice as a managing principal. She also spent 12 years at MTV Networks. Williamson has been recognized by the City of New York for Women's Leadership, inducted into the YWCA Academy of Women Leaders, and a Woman of Influence Award from Essence Magazine. Williamson serves on the board executive committees of the New York Urban League, Food Research and Action Center, and is a board chair for the All Souls School. Her colleague, Nicholas Griggs-Drain, is the Director of Diversity and Inclusion for Endeavor's offices in the UK and EMEA. Prior to that, he worked in the New York City office. Greg Strain brings an interesting perspective to the business, having worked on the talent side before moving into the diversity and inclusion field. He is an experienced entertainment executive with a demonstrated focus on DNI, and he's known for cultivating the power of content and marketing to create progressive narratives that ultimately promote the advancement of historically excluded groups. Greg Strain is a solution-oriented leader with experience in brand and celebrity client management, nonprofit partnership development, internal corporate communications, and diversity and inclusion strategy. You are in for a treat, as this is definitely one of my favorite episodes of season four. Allison and Nicholas, so great to see you. Thanks for joining me. Hey, it's so great to be here. Good to see you, Erica. Thanks, Erica, for having us. All right. So we are all, Allison and I are both uh, on the upper, well, one of us is on the Upper West Side, one's in Flatiron. Nicholas is calling in from the UK. And here we all are. So I would love for you both to introduce yourselves to this audience and talk a little bit about Endeavor and your roles. We'll go ladies first. Allison, why don't you start? As Chief Inclusion Officer for Endeavor, I get to think strategically about how we ensure that this business that is on the just constant edge of driving culture is truly doing that with a lens that will reflect who we want to engage, who should be here, who we want as part of our ecosystem, both internally as employees, but certainly as partners, as clients. I get to work across the business, the world with fantastic people and we're doing a lot of great work, but we do it because there's like a really strong team. And with that, I'll throw it to Nicholas. All right, Nicholas. Nicholas Griggs-Strain. I am based in London. I'm Director of Diversity and Inclusion for Endeavor and work under the fantastic Allison. 
And, you know, I started in this business on the representation side and started to work in DEI and build the practice here at Endeavor based out of personal experience. And from there, just really trying to relate diversity and inclusion opportunities to the opportunities we have within sports, entertainment, media, fashion, marketing, and everything in between that falls within our business. And, you know, the reason that we do what we do and where we do it is because of the opportunity from the cultural standpoint, right? When we think of the opportunity of sports into consumers, and we think about the opportunity of marketing and brands in terms of how they influence directly into consumers and how people see themselves in representation. And so I think our jobs here are definitely people-centric in terms of who's in our house, but also you know how those people in our house directly affect culture. And so that's what we do day to day. And we will tell you every day is a new day. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's exciting. And I think that's where um, these two worlds collide of diversity and inclusion and the power of a cultural backbone within a company. I love that. So with that great setup, one of the things that occurs to me is, you know, not every company has a head of DNI, let alone a team of people working on this. Have you found that some people in the organization will say, well, okay, we have a team of people that deal with this. So I'm just going to go back to doing my day job. But I think for DNI really to take hold you have to get everybody else on board. So would love to hear, I mean, how do you do that? And I would say, add to that, big part of your business is live events. COVID's been really hard, really stressful. It's hard to balance just figuring out how to keep business running, let alone this other aspect of diversity. I know that's a loaded question, but would love to hear your thoughts. No, that's not loaded at all because I think they're not separate ideas. How do you keep business going and have diversity, equity, inclusion? Like that's actually how you keep business going. The good and exciting news is that there's a lot of excitement and understanding of the value proposition of being smarter, knowing more about what we don't know and who we don't know. And that's across the sphere of endeavor. I always talk about our team as small but mighty, and we intentionally stay small. We stay small because we have to have this work embedded in every aspect of the business. And so, yes, there are some programs, yes, there are initiatives, and Nicholas is like masterful at this. And again, especially because of his deep understanding of the representation business and his tenure here, is that we have these opportunities to inform, advise, guide, build competency in different ways throughout the organization, both with people who are sitting at desks working for three agents, as well as people who are leading businesses. And we built around that so that everyone has an opportunity to be part of this conversation and feel like they know what they're talking about. And that's because we're engaging them as our partners. I love that. Nicholas, any thoughts from you on that? To Allison's point, the people that we work with specifically, and hopefully everywhere, but they're experts, they are at the top of their game in terms of representation, in terms of marketing within pretty high profile fields. And so they want to do the best only. And so I think one of the things that we've had to work through is really getting people comfortable with conversations around DEI and training them up, but also addressing the fear around being wrong within this space and being able to fail and trip over. And many of our conversations are around how do we actually embed diversity and inclusion within those events that you were talking about within our businesses. Yep. That's the part that Allison just smiled makes our job really fun. You know, that's the piece where we get to see the fruit actually go into 
the cornucopia, right? That's the showcase because that's the place where we get to see actually really magic happen and people start to build out new arms, right? In terms of the businesses, in terms of representation of maybe underrepresentation within food, right? Or within, I don't know, tennis, right? What does that look like? So people show up, people are showing up and then we just have to help them guide and then once they get really excited about it, that's when the magic starts to happen. Yeah, I agree. So for our audience, I met Allison and Nicholas at an event in London. We had a little bit of a reprieve before Omicron and I was able to fly to London and participate in an in-person amazing event that they held, that Endeavor held. And one of the things that I often talk about is organizations that really live their values. You know, How do you get them off the walls and into the halls? And I just wanted to share with people that I feel like your organization really did that, that in a couple of day conference, the two of you had a pretty big slot on the schedule to talk. I think it was something like two hours. And oftentimes in this field, people don't get to hear sort of the roll up your sleeves. Like how do you actually do some of this stuff and get people talking about it? And Nicholas, maybe I'll push this over to you because you led a lot of these exercises with executives, very senior executives, the whole group on having conversations about these really, really critical issues and making it real. So can you share a little bit about how you did it? Because you use the word magic and I feel like as someone in the audience, it was pretty magical to watch. Oh, well, thank you. No, I gave Allison the hard job of giving the bad news and then I got to do this. <laughs> the good part. Since I've moved to London, I've done a lot of data intake in terms of what situations exist within specifically this community and within these businesses. And so what we did was extrapolated some of the examples, made them anonymous, coded it so that no one could understand who these examples were about. And then we just walked through and said, you know, leaders this is a potential reality for you within your business. What are you going to do? And whether that's a female being isolated based on, you know, male dominated culture norms or there's someone from an underrepresented group being completely marginalized within a space, right? All these examples ranged. And so it was one of these things, people raised their hand. This isn't real. This wouldn't happen here. You know, that's where it's kind of like these things happen everywhere. Mm-hmm. And when you're able to recognize that we're a part of it. Every part of us has a little piece of bias in it and we all make mistakes. How we learn from that and how we grow, that was the real conversation. That was the meat of people turning into each other. Leaders who run major global businesses were turning in and having conversations around what a leader would do to help their employees get out of these situations mm-hmm. and advocate for underrepresented people. And I think that was a really... a, a, a a ha aha moment. <laughs> yeah. I'm not Oprah and cannot say aha, aha moment. <laughs> and that was their aha moment. And I was in one of those breakout groups and I saw those aha moments doing this intake and obviously making sure you can't figure out who these individuals are, but saying this happened here, but then also saying, and this happens in other places, what can we do together collectively and share ideas across the organization? So I always love to be able to share these real examples and also saying we're not perfect, but we're going to grow together and that you two are there with your small and mighty team to help them. So thank you with that. I think a really critical component is that this was not the only conversation that we have had about inclusion. It was a different way we had it. We had polling, we had data right in your face. Yep. Every one of those people had been part of a global like conversation about bias awareness. 
earlier in the year, every one of those people had been part of a dialogue about being an ally. Every one of those people, because they were leaders, had a bespoke conversation in late 2020 about how they as leaders need to be thinking about how everyone gets to show up and what gets in the way of that. And even in the conference, it wasn't, okay, we're going to talk about widgets and now we're going to talk about diversity. There was a thread that went through. And so even like earlier, there was a conversation about growth mindset. Mm -hmm. You can't talk about growth mindset without talking about inclusion. There was a story arc that we were able to be part of. And so, and the reason I raised that is because, first of all, it's an ongoing conversation. And even from that, there are now more like focused, targeted workshops, right? To really engage and dig in. We want to be able to build around where people are for sure, but it's a constant engagement. To use an American football analogy, it's like a game of inches, right? And so we're bringing people along. And the other thing that I want to say real quickly is there are people who have voice and who do not everywhere. This is just the nature of humans who want to get along, especially in corporate America. And what I know is true is that there are straight white men who are perceived to be in this like power sector, which they are, and they sit in an incredible amount of privilege, who also cannot be their authentic selves often. And so until we ensure like everyone can show up and we need to make space for that and we'll engage around like people of color and women and LGBTQ plus, we are making this like this water raises all boats. So when this underrepresented group is doing better, they're probably going to be doing great, right? This is not zero sum. A hundred percent. So here's a question, Allison. I'm going to stick with you. And yeah, and thank you for adding to that because I think it's really, really important. You know, we've all read about the great resignation, the great reshuffle. And I read this quote, which said, in this hiring climate, we are going to struggle to find qualified candidates for our roles, much less meet our diversity hiring goals. Most of our leaders are hiring the first qualified person they can find without any consideration of diversity. It's almost out of like, there just aren't enough people right now to fill these jobs. So I'm not saying that's in your organization, but just sort of in terms of what I'm hearing globally right now, is this great resignation taking us five, 10 steps backwards on the DNI front? And what are your thoughts on what we can do about it? Pulling back a little bit, like one of the ways that I think about this is defragmentation of power. Like I heard that like my former boss, Robert Rabin used the, amortization of power for the finance folks, but like defragmentation. And so what that means is there is more agency that individuals have and are thinking about as they figure out like how they spend their time and what they're willing to have happen and do. And frankly, like underrepresented people, people of color, LGBTQ plus women have a lower tolerance for having to navigate around the delicate egos that we have had to for Ever. So what that also means is that we're absolutely going to see a need for a different way of understanding who wants to show up here, how we engage the people we want to show up here in order for us to stay relevant and stay cutting edge and in front of culture. We're absolutely going to see an impact. We're going to see an impact not because people are wanting to stay home. It's that there's now an understanding, like how we show up as half of ourselves so that we're not offending or making people who are in power uncomfortable or thinking about who we are and what we're dealing with. It's a longer runway. Nicholas, I want to get to you in a second, but what jumps to my mind 
is what you said earlier about this is not separate. It is integrated into the business. So if you're an organization where this is integrated into the business and integrated into the values, it becomes a strength so that everybody can feel heard and bring their whole self across all of these groups. So if you can get this right, or at least better moving by those inches, I'm just sort of processing this out loud as we're speaking here, you can almost get employees to kind of jump the line and come to you over other organizations in the midst of this great resignation. Absolutely. It's a competitive advantage. Yeah, right. That's a much more direct way to say it than I did. Nicholas, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's a competitive advantage when you get it right. And I think when you get it right is really the challenge here. From a generational standpoint, I think Gen Zs who are really hitting hard on the next layer of the workforce have a totally different expectation because they finished their academic lives in a pandemic. (laughs) You know, when we think about the next wave of employees, it's it's a totally different approach to how we recruit. It's a totally different approach about how, when we think of employer branding, when we think of, I think one of the exercises we're doing here in London is what does it mean to be an employee at one of our businesses, right? At a specific vertical. And what does that mean when you're in a hybrid model? What does that mean? How do you get that engagement so that people feel seen and that we're meeting them where they're at in this half virtual world still, no matter how much we want it to be fully in person or in, I think it's just, you know, as Allison said, we have to adjust and it is a competitive advantage when we do. And specifically with underrepresented people, I mean, the marketplace is hot. (laughs) So you can get a job really anywhere if you have the right pieces of experience and if you have the right resume and if you have the right access. So we have to take control of that and we have to really care about it and we have to make it a competitive advantage or else we'll have people walking out the door like every other business who, if we don't actually really address it. So we're addressing it very concretely. In London, it's different than what it is in the US. And I think very much on a local level, it's different around the world, so. Yeah, and right, so it's lead with this in other things as well, but especially for some of these younger generations, it is a driver. People are quitting jobs in unprecedented numbers without another job lined up. So it's getting to the heart of what's important to them. Related to this, you know, you talk about you're recruiting very differently. Something strikes me, you know, what about onboarding, which has been challenging in this pandemic? People aren't meeting each other. I came across a study that said that many talent leaders point to a noticeable attrition of new hires from underrepresented communities, often within the first three months of being hired. And it's said that it's often due to a lack of proper support on the part of the organization from the outset. So what are your thoughts about setting up newcomers, everyone, but especially underrepresented communities for success starting at day one? It's imperative. It's one of those things where if we don't, you'll see if it is an organization with low representation of underrepresented groups, you see the ones and twos go. We have this conversation all the time. You can recruit underrepresented people all you want. Right? But if they're not set up for success on day one, two, three, through you know their 90-day entry point, they will walk out the door and they have every right to walk out the door because they were failed. And that's where we have a responsibility when I've had this conversation with more diversity comes more complexity, right? And that requires a lot of effort. But partners lean into really making sure that an agent succeeds or whatever their specialty may be because 
you can't just throw someone in the deep end and hope they swim. It's no longer like that, especially when we were talking about how the climate's changed. We really do need to, and we're trying to really hard make sure that everyone is set up for success. Um, but specifically, those from underrepresented groups who we really want to succeed and grow within our business. Can you share either of you some specifics? I mean, how do you set them up for success day one, week one, first 90 days? Is it having a sponsor, having a mentor, really getting up to speed on the values? I mean, how do you do it? It's like the perfect audience member, right? They're like excited. They're fired up. They've consumed the Kool-Aid. They said yes to us. And so, you know, the level of engagement is quite high. Like new hires are the ones who read everything. Yeah, they're ready to go. They're ready to go. And so having an intentional plan, which is not only understanding like what their business is and having them have like those meetings and conversations and like having that mapped out, which happens, also understanding how their business fits within the full landscape of the organization. So that Mm -hmm. one of the things that we want to make sure they're understanding is like all the resources that are available. So there's that. And then it's also identifying people who are outside of their immediate reporting structure and business so that they have someone they can ask and they can feel like it's not a silly question, et cetera, as well as looking at pairs. And one of the best things that my boss did, Carrie Chandler, I joined at the same time as someone else. So we were newbies together and it allowed for us to like just have through the same lens, some of the conversations and the experiences so that we had each other. I'd never seen that before. And it's a great practice. And, you know, to this day, like we still check in, like we run different areas of a business and we are still very much like in touch. And that is also just really important. Like having the conversations, yes, learning the business, providing this runway. And the other thing that actually is really critical, especially for those who aren't familiar with the business they're entering, like the the world or the industry full on or didn't grow up in it, is the unwritten rule. What are the unwritten rules and where do they find those? How does that happen? From basic things around presentation. We don't use Keynote, we use PowerPoint or whatever it might be. Or no one brings food into the meeting or, you know, like all the things like they're not going to be in a handbook and some people won't necessarily even think of them. And so how do we ensure that all of that is transparent? No place is ever perfect. And so when there is a bump or some issue, there are several people to whom this person can go to, sponsor, mentor, buddy, as well as the resources of understanding like, okay, well, that might be another unwritten rule. Like, let me just figure out and know that they have to navigate it as opposed to it's about them. Absolutely important to have that in place. And it has to happen like right away. I think there's an interest in like trying to figure out and having perfect be the enemy of good, right? And like have this be something that it's built out at every turn. But we know, I mean, Nicholas, like pointing out that idea, like it's just generationally, there are people who like came out of a school in a pandemic, like the same size doesn't fit all. And we have to have a very different understanding of that lived experience. And the only other thing that I'll add, because I've been talking a lot, a lot of caffeine today, is the notion of diversity often ends as soon as you say yes. We're so excited to have you. You are like reflective of these voices that we're interested in having and we don't have. And then you show up and you're expected to assimilate. And so it's really important for the hiring managers and the onboarding team to remember, like, we're not actually indoctrinating anymore. Like, that's not what the business is. We want them, these voices, whoever it is, they're going to set us on this path for the future. 
make sure that we give them the tools and the support to do that. I think one of the things that I would add is that's prepare for that. You don't invite company over and then you start preparing to clean your house when they get there. You know, there's all of these elements that you have to prepare. I just had a new starter on my team here in London and there was a lot of work to do before she arrived, you know, and that's where a lot of managers, they think they hire, they think they were exhausted by the interview process. They think I got my candidate. Thank God they're perfect, whatever that means. And then they show up and they're like, jump in, you know? And one thing that I did when she started was, I think she had maybe 35 meetings set up. As a junior employee, that doesn't happen with a lot of junior employees. Now she knows people to that point, knows the business. Last night she went to a show. We're in live events. Our business is events. You hook her up with the show. You know, if you have swag, you hook them up with swag. There's like all of these pieces of making people feel a part of the organization in a way that's authentic. We should do this for everyone. But if you as a people manager have that ability and then you as a, if you can systemically build that into your practice, I think it's just understanding that onboarding people takes work and people notice it if you don't and then they will go to the next person who cares about their time and their energy and their expertise or their career that they're putting in your hands i'm sitting here i got a little goosebumpy when you said diversity often ends with yes you bring them on and nicholas i love that analogy about all the work that you need to do it connects with before we started recording we were talking about the word intention and intentionality. And we've got to be intentional about this and don't let perfect be the enemy of good. I mean, there's so many ideas here. It's like, I need to go write them all down. So I have one last question related to the topic. And then one more personal question that everybody on this podcast gets asked. So my last question related to this topic is, you know, this season is all about trying to answer the big question of now what? We've been in the pandemic and got a reprieve when I met you guys in person in London and Omicron, and now people are slowly going back to the office, perhaps, and would love to know where you all are on that spectrum of in the office, out of the office, at a Starbucks, hybrid, somewhere in between. So that's sort of part one of the question. How are you thinking about it? And it may differ by business, by geography. And then the second part of the question is, how do you think that will impact DNI. I mean, in terms of there's been all these studies, you know, women with young kids, they'd rather stay home, perhaps. So where are their voices? You talk about growth mindset and you want people to have different opportunities. But what happens when some are in the office and some aren't? I don't know. My head is spinning with this question. I know we're not going to solve it today, but love for you both to weigh in. There's flexibility based on business, accommodations based on sort of health needs, and certainly anything that would keep people from feeling comfortable and confident and and being able to be here. But, you know, the concept of the five days a week is that it's less contrived in like the clicking of of a link to see each other, but more like just organic in the ideation and the ways that we come together. And so that has been the way that the company has organized the return. This is more than logistics. The world is reopening. Hopefully we'll continue in the same direction. There are a lot of people who didn't get to bury loved ones. There are a lot of people who sat home by themselves for nearly two years. There are a lot of people who have needed to navigate things that they were already challenged with and that they found were exacerbated by this global pandemic and trauma. There are a lot of people who are trying to figure out how they organize themselves, whether they have people who depend on them or not, in a way that actually 
allows them to feel safe physically and psychologically. And so, yeah, that means that we're going to see a challenge with a lot of people because if you start with, I don't know how safe I feel, what we saw even in the last two years with the AAPI community, with high levels of anti-Semitism, with issues around wellness and mental health, we are ready to make it so that people, however we bring them together in whatever intention, that it is meaningful, that it is mindful of what had to be navigated and overcome to get from Jersey to the Flatiron, as well as how do we get together? And what it also means is how do we become smarter about how we engage online for the equitable aspect? Because those hybrid meetings are horrible. I've sat in on them. They're just the worst. How do we then organize ourselves to meet differently? And in what meetings have to be in person and should be in person? And what can be virtual so that everyone's voice is heard, everyone is seen, literally seen, as well as like everyone can participate. Having those rules of the road. Allison, you're saying that the expectation right now is that you guys are back, like you're in the office five days a week, barring any issues around safety and comfort and there's flexibility built in, but you're back in the office. Yeah. Yeah, we are. What back in the office means depends on where you sit. Yeah. Thinking about the range of experiences, lived experiences that people have had or like work experience people have had. Two years is not nothing. Yeah. So crazy. Yeah. We're like 12 days away, at least here in New York City. You know, everything kind of went down on March 13th. So we're a week and a half away from two years, which is just insane. There are kids who are for the first time in like in New York City, seeing other kids without masks. I know. My son gets to take his mask off on Monday. I'm so excited. And actually just in time because he has exams. So to sit there for a three hour exam with a mask on, that's a whole separate podcast. (laughs) All right. So Nicholas, thoughts on return to office and then we'll wrap it up. It's a little bit different here in London. We have four days in the office that we're, we're trying to get to, but there's some businesses, their employees are really demanding flexibility, right? And that's something that, you know, there's some leaders who are really doing two days. Everyone is in. That's when our in-person meetings are taking place. Two days optional of, you know, you can pick which day you want to come in. And then the third day is either work from home or it was something next to it. But anyways, there's options. The ability to say, if I'm coming in on Tuesday and Wednesday, I'm going to see everyone that I need to see. I'm going to be in a meeting with people. I'm going to get what I need to do done. And you get to interact. I mean, that's where I agree with it or not. I, you know, we are people business. And I think this is something that we are having a lot of connections, but allowing people to say, you know, I've actually built a new life around being at home, allowing flexibility with family, with experience, with taking care of loved ones, whether dependents of, of either direction, you know? And so that's where in London, there is a little bit more flexibility here. And I travel all over to all of our different offices individually, but it's interesting to see how it, it floats based on industry. We're saying like, I can't sit at a desk and be creative anymore. I need to be out in the world and with trees. And so that's an element too, of like what the function of the job is actually dictating productivity and yeah. you know, the ability to be flexible. So, you know, everyone's doing their own thing. It'll all simmer out eventually, but flexibility is something that we all just have to be aware of and, and lean into. Right. It goes back to intention. The last thing you want is people commuting into an office, 
you know, leaving some of the things that they've gotten accustomed to getting to their office and there's no one else but themselves and they're sitting in a corner. So that's a, a recipe for disaster. So I will look forward to continuing to hear about these plans because I agree with you, Nicholas. I think they're going to evolve. And so we'll have to report back. In closing, I would love to ask you just a little bit about you with this question, which is, what do each of you do in your lives that makes you feel most like you? I enjoy being on the water. I enjoy sailing. And I am about to go uh, do a little bit of sailing in a couple of weeks as well. But it allows me to be only focused on me and nature. Me, the boat, water, and wind. And it is where there are like moments of clarity. I have like these incredible aha moments, but I, there's nothing else. That's what I do in order to feel most like me. I love that. And are you sailing the boat? Yes. Wow. Yeah. So cool. Nicholas. She's much more peaceful in her answer with this. <laughs> For me, it's music. For me, it's music either in the ears or at a live event. I mean, we're in this industry for a reason. I love engulfing myself in the light show at a live event here, or even, you know, putting my New York shoes back on in London and plugging in and strutting down that street and having Londoners be like, who is that crazy person walking down the street? (laughs) That is how I recharge, which is one of those things where it's either being around people at an event with a common goal, a common interest of enjoying someone's artistry, or just letting the body feel in the way that it will walking down the street. And I think that's something that you all can't see on this video, but like I move around, I have a lot of energy that I have to get out. And that's one of the things that I do in order to recenter myself is lean into music, lean into the the artistry of that. And so thank God I, I work in this business or else, I don't know if Allison, if another boss would let me pace around like I do on call, <laughs> you know, but that is what it is. So yeah, that's when I feel most like me. And I, and I love that question. And I hope a lot of people appreciate that question because we're not ever asked that. So thank you, Erica, for that. Well, thank you. I do love the question. And sometimes people will know what's coming, but most times they won't. And it really does. Like, I just love the impact because it kind of stops people in their tracks. It could be a great question. Like when we think about onboarding and we think about diversity and inclusion, like what about if we asked that question or a question like that to the people on our teams to get a sense of who they are? And as we think about returning to the office or not and flexibility, how can we as a manager help the people that work for us create time? for people to feel most like them. You know, if people are like, wow, Allison loves to say, well, let's make sure that we figure out a time for her to get away because she's clearly not doing this in New York City. So I don't know, my head is spinning, but that could be a really interesting way to bring to life a lot of these things that we've talked about today. That's a great, great point. So interesting. Before I found my partner, I asked that on dates, like, what makes you you? What makes you special, you know? Because that's when you get to see where people really are. And I think that's interesting to bring that into the workplace too. Yeah. Well, I love that. Well, guys, it was so, so good to see you. I know, Allison, we're going to do a walk in New York City. Nicholas, let me know when you're back in town and I'll make it to London. You are both so inspirational and I'm happy to even a little bit be part of this Endeavor world, Endeavor team. I'm excited for this episode and for everybody else to hear from you as well. So thank you so, so much. Well, Erica, thank you, because this is like these conversations are so important. Your work is so important. And it it's just really helpful to be reminded of like how we all should be thinking about how we show up and 
what we need to be mindful of. So thank you. I will talk to you all soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Left Your Own Devices. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. If you want to receive my monthly-ish update on all things human at work, or just want to say hello, email me at erica at ericakeswin.com. Stay safe, stay connected, and I'll see you soon.